good evening and welcome to the Sydenham Arts Podcast where we talk all things Sydenham, Lewisham and beyond. I'm your host Angela Eaton and we are delighted to have you here tonight for the season finale. That's right, the season finale and we're not sure when we're coming back so let's make it a good one. In light of that we have three excellent guests coming up for you this evening. We have the wonderful actress and personal trainer, Leah Georges, the brilliant Gavin Barlow from the Albany Deptford, and we have the fantastic cabaret-style theatre performer, Exanthony, tonight, yes. Now, for those of you watching via the live stream tonight, hello, your first thought was probably, why is she dressed like a zebra? But then very quickly, your second thought was, why am I not dressed like a zebra? And trust me, I understand because I was like you once. And I'm just gonna say, once you've gone there, it's hard to come back, you know? Just get those stripes on. Yes. If you're listening via audio means, um, hi, I'm a zebra. I'm a zebra, I'm a zebra. And if you keep saying it, eventually it will become true. Those are the rules. Okay, so. Of course, we have a special treat from our Lewisham A-lister for you tonight. And we find out who has been crowned the ultimate local living legend of the week. And yes, that is quite a crown to wear. So, first of all, let's go on over to our first guest. They are an actor, storyteller and co-founder of physical theatre company Lim to Lim, who have toured nationally, internationally and produced their first commission for the Sydney Arts Centre last year. Over lockdown, they have been very, very busy collecting stories for their next play about ex-lovers that have ever so kindly got in contact over the lockdown period. As well as performing, she is kicking butt as a personal trainer and a massage therapist. Yes, and she is my dream zebra in crime. It's the one, the only, Leah Georges. Hello, hello. How are you? Hello, hello. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. I'm really jealous that I don't have my zebra outfit with me. <laughs> yeah, I'm not surprised that you're jealous, actually, because um, Leah and I bought zebra outfits at the very same time, didn't we, when we lived in New Cross together? Yeah, and um, I'd be sad if you were dressed like a zebra right now and I wasn't. I'd, uh, I'd be heartbroken. <laughs> um, yeah, well, thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. Um it's very, very appreciated. Um, and so nowadays, you're not just an actor, you're a personal trainer as well. Um, which is your favourite? Oh, that's a hard question. They're <laughs> actually so similar in so many ways. Um, so, oh, which is my favourite? I don't know if I can really choose. Can I? Probably acting, being an actress oh, and making films. okay. I think it is, but I do absolutely love PTing people as well. Um, and it's, I'm, I'm, I think I'm just really lucky to be able to do two things um, that are my work that I, I adore both of them. And um, I think I'm in a very privileged position to be able to say that and do that. Yeah, yeah, no, that is lucky. And because it's, it's quite tough, I think, when you're um, a creative or a performer to find something else that you enjoy 
as much as that so that's brilliant that you have found that for sure um you had to take a year out as well to train to be a, a personal trainer what kind of what was the moment that made you think okay I can take a year out because you know when you're running a theatre company and you're auditioning and you're in that headspace I feel like it can be quite a big deal to to try and take time out to do something different kind of how did you make that decision it was actually a I think a change in my mindset with acting and with limb to limb with the theatre company with making theatre because um when I first started Limb to Limb, it was with the co-founder, uh, Oliver Theobald, and we would grab every single opportunity we could to to get on stage and do something, even if it wasn't that, you know, even if it wasn't, it was really tough to do, even if it wasn't sort of the best gig, even if it meant that it maybe cost us money at times, um, we would just constantly doing doing stuff which was brilliant to begin with but then as limb to limb matured and developed just started to get a lot more picky with with the things that I I personally chose I wanted to be part of make limb to limb part of I didn't just make theatre for the sake of it um, I think we very much went down the route of what is it we want to do um, what marries what projects are marrying with us at the same time and then it just was quite liberating to be really more picky um, with, with our projects, which then meant that it wasn't a constant kind of treading for water, trying to be creative all the time. You could actually take a step back and evaluate. And that meant that taking a bit more time to then go and study and become a personal trainer wasn't such a big deal because, um, because it was something I chose to do. And it has actually aided um my theatre in some ways as well and so it, it was actually kind of an easy decision um and to be honest you never really stopped you there's always stuff going on yeah <laughs> so even though I may have taken a year out physically I think your mind carries on but having that distance um I think possibly made me more creative hopefully I don't know <laughs> oh yeah because actually thinking about it you um produced and devised under the horse for Sydenham didn't you while you were training is that right while you were still I, just doing I first qualified as a uh -huh. PT when I took on um that that commission and we were actually doing rehearsals for eggshells one of our other shows at the Brighton Fringe while I was training and I was writing funding applications at the same time so although it was kind of on the back burner there were still things going on um yeah so <laughs> yeah it was so it was kind of a year off kind of um, and you said that um it has uh, kind of influenced your work or at least aided your performing work in what way has it has it crossed over oh there's I mean there's so many um crossovers limb to limb is a very physical um theatre company and I think that's such a broad term um because all theatre is physical, isn't it, in some way or another, unless it's a radio play, I guess. But um, I think I already had a really big understanding of movement within theatre, whether that was choreography or actors' relationship to audience or actors' relationships, and had a massive influence on companies like DB8 and Frantic Assembly. And for, for you to be able to perform the type of physical theatre that Limb to Limb came under the umbrella of, you had to have 
a certain amount of fitness and strength and and mobility and so it just seemed like a really natural progression to want to understand my body better from an anatomical point of view to see how that could then feed into the theatre in in a different way or maybe just come from a slightly different um, perspective than I had before before I just throw myself at movement at dance at this at the at the other but now I've got a slightly more scientific view of perhaps how things work and and, and go together so yeah it married quite or does yeah yeah and like how to look after your body I guess as well um okay so um over lockdown you've had um some some surprise contacts at some points over this period um which have inspired you to create a show about those contacts could you um tell us a little bit more about these contacts and and what they wanted to get in touch with you about so within the first week of lockdown i had First five, then six, ex, boyfriends, lovers, others, <laughs> um, flings, <laughs> another umbrella that they could be put under, um, get in contact, just be like, how are you? What's going on? And sort of all sorts of different types of contact, people that I thought I'd never hear from again. And I put a post up on Instagram because it just, it kind of amused me. And then I've read an article and I'm not sure which newspaper it was in. I think it was The Guardian. I'm not sure um, about um, how this was happening a lot, a lot of kind of unresolved business. People were getting in contact with people. Um, But this post I put on Instagram got picked up by um, Sean Hollands, who runs Fable Workshops and is a frantic associate and works with the National Youth Theatre. And he was like, oh, you can't write this. And I was like, no, you can't, sort of laughing. He was like, do you have a meeting? <laughs> so we ended up, having, I was like, <laughs> ended up having a Zoom meeting. He was like, let's just make a great play. Um, so he then put me in contact with an amazing writer, Natalia. And we've been having Zoom meetings throughout lockdown. We've actually got another meeting next week. And I've basically made a massive timeline of these gentlemen who have um, (laughs) been on and she is slowly plotting it out into some sort of play, which um, we also have ideas. It might be set in a gym. (laughs) So there's a little bit of a marry. Um, But yeah. So from this contact, we um, we have we've started to plot a play, which is actually pretty hilarious, I think, because it's of where it comes from. Um, but then also, hopefully, other people will find it funny as well. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. I, I think six is a lot, though, isn't it? Six in one week. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was fun. And then when I put the Instagram post up, another one popped up. He was like, "Me too," and I was like. <laughs> Oh yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Maybe he thought, "Oh, I want to be that Yeah, I want to be in a show about this." Do any of them know that there's a show being made? One of them knows there's a show being made. Uh, doesn't know that he's part of it yet. <laughs> <laughs> he thought it was a great idea. We ended up having a conversation um and then um, and then he, he was asking me what I'd been up to and I told him sort of omitting the details that actually you you are one of these people um so that was quite a funny conversation I I will let him know and I think by the time it gets to performance it will be very far removed from 
the from the, sure. the original stories i hope <laughs> well what and i i don't know if you can say were they getting in contact with you about very similar things or were there very different like requests or how serious were people you know what was it was it like people confessing their undying love for you or they just wanted to like hang out even though we weren't allowed to kind of hang out with people at that time yeah a couple wanted to hang out and I was like "Mm, lockdown um (laughs) don't know if you've been watching the news um (laughs) others were just sort of curious about my well-being I didn't take it much further but I am now starting to develop plot lines so carrying on some conversations um that that it was it was a varied mix um what what else came up one one asked how I felt about (laughs) co-parenting all right wow Uh, (laughs) there were all sorts of um there were all sorts of conversations that that came up and some I've carried on and some I haven't and some I might try and pick up for uh, <laughs> for material as we go along. I don't know how morally that is or not, but we'll see. <laughs> is it going to be a physical theatre piece then? Or do you know yet? Well, we honestly, um, it's such, such early days. There's a few scenes that have been penned. Um, I think it will be. At the moment, the idea is that it's set in a gym and each each guy that's got in contact has a different exercise attached to him um and so there will be a very physical element to this storytelling sort of married with these different gym exercises which will hopefully either complement or jar um with what's being said how are we going to do that whether it ends up like that i don't know but those are the kind of ideas that are being thrown around at the moment without too much away so Knowing me, it will be very physical, yeah. <laughs> yeah, cool, cool. And um, okay, so it's the point of the show where we hear from a couple of our, our younger listeners who um, have this sort of thing all ahead of them, um, Jazz and Holly, who are uh, six and eight years old. And they have written, they wanted to ask some grown-ups some questions. And um, they'd like to know, What's your favourite part of your house? Um, my favourite—it's the front step of my house. That's my favourite part of my house. After my room, I love my room as well. But you'll find me on my front step because it gets the most sun, and I get to watch all the people walking by and be nosy. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Good answer. Yes, and I wasn't expecting that. So front step, brilliant. And um, we asked you to bring along an item that describes lockdown for you. Have you brought it along with you? I I have. It's a, it's not so much an item, but it's something that popped up. I changed it today, so I, it's a poem actually. I hope that's okay. So- yeah, are you alright to read it? Yeah, I'll I'll give you the the, the story behind it. It was right at the beginning of lockdown. I had these grand ideas. I'd do yoga every single day. And I didn't. I did it once at the beginning of lockdown. (laughs) Um, And then this week, in fact, yesterday, I did yoga with an amazing yoga yoga teacher, someone called Sarah Malcolm. She does online Zoom classes and in-person classes. But I did my first yoga with her at the beginning of lockdown. And then I did one with her yesterday. And at the end of the class, she read this poem. And I know the poem, and it's from a South London poet, um, Kay Tempest. 
was Kate Tempest, now wants to be known by Kay Tempest. And I forgot how good it was. And I won't read it all because it's too long. So it's just a short bit. But it really made me think about lockdown. So it's um, hold your own, just a small bit. When time pulls lives apart, hold your own. When everything is fluid and nothing can be known with any certainty, hold your own. Hold it till you feel it there, as dark and dense and wet as earth, as vast and bright and sweet as air. When all there is, is knowing that you feel what you are feeling, hold your own. Ask your hands to know the things they hold. I know the days are reeling past in such squealing blasts, but stop for breath and you will know it's yours swaying like an open door. When storms are coming, hold. And it just reminded me of lockdown. Because <laughs> it's- Yeah, that's beautiful. <laughs> She's just so amazing. Um, oh, they, are, they are just so amazing. And yeah, it was just seemed like quite a full circle that Sarah decided to read it at the end of her class. It was made me feel, gave me the feels. <laughs> Yeah, that's given me the feels. That's why I'm just sat there like, oh, thanks for that. Thank you so much for bringing that along. Um, okay, well, it's been lovely chatting to you, but this isn't goodbye. We're just going to pop you into the waiting room while we um, just prepare some stuff from our um, special guest appearance, okay? All right, thanks so much, Leah. See you in a minute. See you in a bit. Okay, great. So, oh, and we've got Laura coming in over the chat saying that that poem was beautiful and thank you, Leah. Yes, thank you very much for reading that. Um, okay, so for our next segment, um, unbelievably, again, a very generous Hollywood A-list legend has given up some of his time for the Sydenham Arts Centre. Yeah, there are rumours that he used to live in Sydenham and Forest Hill. Yeah, he's a double local. His stubble is trimmed so particularly that pieces of wood tremble as he passes. And although now he spends most of his time in Beverly Hills, he has vowed never to forget his sound Southeast London roots and has kindly taken some time out of his action-packed schedule to sing some songs for us. Now, all our guests have to do is listen to the song that he's recorded, tell me what the song is and the artist and the year that the song was released. So there's three points up for grabs for all of those things. A guest must buzz in to answer. The first guest to buzz in gets a chance at answering for all of those points. If there's hesitation, the other guest can jump right in and steal. Okay, let's see, are we ready? Let's play Jason Statham Sings to the Nation. Jason Statham Sings to the Nation. Hey, hello, welcome back Leah and welcome Gavin. Thank you so much for coming on, hey. Hello. Sorry you don't get much of an intro now, Gavin. I promise you, um, you will get a proper intro um, after Jason's done his bit, you know, he's got a, he's got, he's a busy man, he's a busy man. No, okay, do you both know the rules um, of the game? If you could just give me a verbal, if you do. Yes. I think so. I'm, I, I agreed to do, when I agreed to do this, I was like, why not? And then I watched all of the uh, 
previous programmes and I didn't get a single point from any of them. <laughs> you want to set expectations at the right level? Yeah, that's right. Don't worry, Gavin, it's no pressure. It's all it's all fun. Um, I hear Lee is amazing at this game, so, you know, don't... <laughs> no 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 it's fine um you'll be you'll be great i am sure don't, don't you worry um heat of the moment sometimes adrenaline just bursts us on doesn't it um okay so you've both got the rules sort of you both need a buzzer to buzz in with so leah please could you give me your buzzer sound it's very quiet that no no <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> she's great so she was just hitting things in her room for anyone listening um, but now she's going to make a bar sound with her, with her mouth love it perfect um gavin what's your nominated buzzer sound please go for classic um buzz Oh, a classic buzz. So we've got a bar and a buzz. Okay, fantastic. So remember, you've got three points up for grabs. You can buzz in even if you just know one of those things. Um, and then there's a room to steal if um, the other person isn't sure what they're saying. Okay, so have we got our first song ready? Fantastic. First song, let's go. The club isn't the best place to find a lover, so the bar is where I go. Me and my friends at table doing shots, drinking fast, and then we talk slow. Come over, start up a conversation with just me, and trust me, I'll give it a chance. Stop, take my hand, put Van the Man on the jukebox, and then we start to dance. Buzz. Oh, okay. Hello. Kept us in suspense there. Yes, Gavin. Oh, just go for it. Um, I'm going to guess Ed Sheeran. Yes, it is Ed Sheeran. Okay. Any other points you want to go for? We've got the... Uh, shape of You? No. Shape of You? Shape of You. No? Yeah, it's Shape of You. Yes, yes. Gavin was a he was absolute hustler at the beginning of this game, wasn't he? Unbelievable. <laughs> In the year 2017? Are you joking? Yes, it is. <laughs> We've got an Ed Sheeran fan here tonight. Okay. All right, but don't worry, Leah. He got a hat trick. I mean, he made us believe it wasn't possible, but there's another song. Okay, so it's all to play for. It's still all to play for. Okay, song two. All right, here we go. At first I was afraid, I was petrified, kept thinking I could never live without you by my side. I spent so many nights uh, thinking how you did me wrong, and I grew strong, and I learned how to get along. <laughs> I mean, I'm terrified of that one. That was terrifying. <laughs> Leah, that was your buzzer sound that came in. I will survive. Yes. Is it Gloria Gaynor? Yes, it is. 82? It's not 82, I'm afraid. Not 82. You can try and steal, Gavin, if you've got a, uh, if you've got a, uh, got it in you. 1978? 
It's 1978. Yeah, absolutely. It's 1978. There you go. What can we say? Obviously, the adrenaline carried you through. So um, congratulations, Gavin. You are this week's crowned um, Jason Statham Sings to the Nation winner. Leah, I'm so sorry. I mean you know but thanks for playing um right. Gavin you surprised us all there after that lead-in <laughs> well this is where we say goodbye to Leah but Gavin we'll see you in just a moment okay and thank you Leah thank you see you bye there you go he surprised us all didn't he um and we should also say thank you once again Jason especially for coming on for the finale we really appreciate it thank you very much we know that you're a busy busy guy um I've got some uh, over the chat Laura saying yeah that was a great steal um oh and and someone else Ella saying that Leah looks amazing and so do I thank you we appreciate that very much um okay so our second guest doesn't really need an introduction because you just you just saw them um but they deserve an introduction especially after that performance okay so they come from the Albany Deptford the Albany is the heart of Lewisham's arts and community scene. Throughout lockdown, the Albany has created opportunities for young people in Lewisham via their youth programme, as well as older residents through their Meet Me on the Radio show. The Albany is looking to open their doors in a couple of weeks, and as they emerge, they have some new thinking coming out of the key events from the last seven months. Um, we are very excited to have talking to us tonight, the Chief Executive and Artistic Director of the Albany Deptford, Gavin Barlow. Hi, Angela. Hey, Gavin. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Um, Someone saying in the chat, you should go on Mastermind. (laughs) Well, yeah, obviously undersold that. I don't know if that was deliberate, but Honestly, truthfully, I've gone through the others just before and it was like, I've no idea. So yeah, maybe you're right, that kind of adrenaline in the moment and you kind of comes out of your memory banks somewhere. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, well, your brain's like there for you, just like, okay, we can do this. Um, so before we go into some more detailed questions, I am going to ask you, how often do people accidentally write or call you Gary Barlow? <laughs> it surprisingly happens a lot on emails particularly where people just say oh dear Gary or hi Gary yeah it's just <laughs> a, for some reason a connection in people's brain so yeah I used to say he was my cousin but um yeah I've, I've stopped trying to play that one. Oh yeah because then people presumably they start asking you more questions like oh yeah <laughs> How did you feel when they broke up for the first time? Did you cry as well? No, that was uh, just me. Okay. Anyway, well, thank you. Yeah, I'm not surprised that happens a little bit. Um, So you've been artistic director of the Albany for 17 years um, now, which is, that's amazing, really. That's such a phenomenal time period. What's um, inspired you to stay in that role for that length of time? Yeah, it is. It does. It seems kind of amazing. I think I'd have been um, shocked <laughs> at the time if I thought that. I mean, because I, ca- I came, well, you should say 17 years ago, and the Albany had this amazing history and kind of had a previous heyday in the 80s. 
But then kind of 17 years ago, I suppose it had really fallen on hard times and it, for instance, didn't have any Arts Council funding. It didn't have any, it didn't have a programme actually. It was, it was, it had just become a kind of community centre without much funding. Um, so it was, it was a kind of challenge to kind of, uh, I think we were about a quarter of a million pounds in debt as well. So it was just a challenge to try and kind of try and find out what it should be again and try and kind of rediscover it and turn it around and make it work. Um, and before that, I was in Manchester, so I moved to Deptford. And I think just that process over two or three years, a kind of place seeps into your, you know, your bloodstream, gets under your skin. And, you know, after about three or four years, we were starting to make it and the Arts Council were giving us some money and we got out of financial trouble. So, so then it actually, instead of moving on, which I thought I might do, it's actually, well, there's, inter there's more interesting things we can do. And so as time's gone on, it's been one of the, it's one of those places that changes all the time because it it changes in response to the people that there and the people around it and so my job has never been the same and the place hasn't really been the same it's just kept changing so you know there's no chance to get bored and it's kind of got under my skin really and so I, I still live in Deptford as well so yeah 17 years it's a long time now. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. And um, like you're saying that it's um, a place that keeps changing. And um, that's, that's still today, isn't it? That's still something that's currently happening for you at the Albany. And um, you've, you've got um, a couple of things going on. So you've got your Artists of Change commissions coming up. So which is reimagining what 21st, art, um, 21st century arts venues should look like. Could you tell us a bit more about who artists of change are, what these commissions are. Yeah, I mean, it's an idea we came up with a little while back, but it feels like a perfect way to kind of reopen uh, after lockdown. I mean, I think, you know, it's tempting just to go back to normal, but actually so many things have changed and we've all learned so many things. And so it just feels like we, sh we should open by asking questions, really. Um, and trying to do something different rather than just getting back to exactly the old. So, and the other thing is, you know, we work with artists as performers and workshop leaders and, you know, and associate artists and we support artists, but actually artists never get the chance to kind of work for a long period properly in an organization. So we thought we'd um, set these artists to change, which is just an open call to any artist who has a connection in Southeast London. And so there'll be two jobs over the next year where they'll work with us for six months. And the idea is to start by being part of the organization, asking questions rather than, I mean, they can come with their own approach, but the idea is that they will be talking and working with local people and audiences and community members. And out of that, they can start to decide together what they want to produce. So it may be that they produce a piece of work, but it may be that they, they do a festival or they do a series of gigs or film screenings, exhibitions, or it could be all of those things. And so we've kept it really, really open. And I think that's what's scary about it, but that's also what's really exciting. And so genuinely, you know, when, um, when arts organisations do um, things with local communities, so often it's they're going out and saying, well, we've got this, are you interested? So and really, we just wanted to turn that on its head and go, well, we've got a venue, we've got some resources, we've got artists, you know, so what, what ideas have you got and what can we make of that really? Um, we've been doing these events for a couple of years called Pizza and Pitches, where people, local people, some of them artists, some of them not artists, just pitch in ideas. And then they pitch them at this event, 
local people come and they vote for the winner. So they, the local people choose, the audience chooses the winner, and then the winner gets a thousand pounds and we agree to work with them to produce whatever ideas they come up with. And we've done three of them now. But the, out of that, there's been so much creativity and so many brilliant ideas. You kind of think, well, actually we can, you know, this is what the program should be. We can create it out of local people's ideas and their passions and what they want to see and what they want to do. And that, that just seems like the way that we should be doing it. So we're giving it a go. Yeah, that's great. So like the going to the community, seeing what the community want and then because arts should enhance the community at the end of the day and rather than kind of being prescriptive with what people think should enhance things it's like them being able to say actually this is what I want no that's that's amazing and um you've also um responded very openly and uh creatively to the black lives matter movement and you've you've released a constructive statement of action as well um which ties in with the kind of rethinking um what sort of action can people hope to see from the albany um going forward in response to blm yeah, I think, I mean, a lot of venues have made statements about what they're going to do and how to change. And I think um, all of the arts needs to change. Um, and it kind of seemed to me that, you know, unless you were kind of really making, unless you were kind of really making changes right now, doing something, and we're prepared to give things up to make them happen, um, then, it, then it wasn't really real. You know, we had, had to kind of respond. This isn't, you know, I think any venue has to reflect um, where it is, its local areas, its communities, and that has to be in the stories it tells, uh, the, the artists that you see there, the people that work there. So it has to go absolutely across the board. Uh, and, and it's interesting because the Arts Council do this kind of survey of diversity and the, uh, of kind of major organisations in the country. And I think the Albany came out as like the most diverse workforce. Um, so it's not like we haven't been trying to kind of reflect that. But at the same time, you know, it, it's, you know, it's, if you, if you look at the senior team, for instance, it's, it's, you know, very strongly majority white. Um, and so it, it doesn't feel that that's after all these years and after kind of different things that have been tried is genuinely kind of 100% through the organization. So we really wanted to put that right. So we're making a new kind of senior appointment. Um, one of the first two artists of change would be an artist of color, making a new appointment to the board. And we're also committing that um, at least 50% of all of our uh, performers and freelancers uh, from here on in uh, will be people of colour. So it kind of feels like, well, okay, those are just commitments. Let's say them publicly uh, and people can judge them on us, judge us on them. Which is yeah, yeah, yeah. You've right. got them in writing. You've got them in writing. Yeah, great, great. Okay. And um, over lockdown, the Albany mostly produced work for um, people aged 18, oh, 18 to 15, sorry, 8 to 15, or for people over 60. Um, why did you think it was particularly important to focus on those age groups? Um, so we, I mean, we do lots of young people's programs. And we also, as you say, do Meet Me at the Albany uh, for over 60. So in terms of shows, I mean, like we work with local company, Teatro Vivo, and, and kind of put online shows and did things online. But we actually thought those two groups of people we worked with are kind of two groups that, that probably um, will need a lot of support in this time. I mean, I think it's really difficult for young people. And obviously, a lot of older people are in a situation where they've got to shield uh, and they're potentially vulnerable to the virus. So uh, we thought, well, well, let's, you know, 
those are two successful projects we do. How do we take them outside the building when we haven't got a building anymore or we can't use the building? Um, so really with young people, we kind of thought we'll let them lead. We'll talk to them about what they want. So we just kept a conversation, but out of that has come a new podcast series, um, setting up a new record company, kind of all of these online commissions that were led by young people, which is fantastic. And with older people, we, we did some stuff online, but of course, a lot of older people don't necessarily have good internet access and so forth. So that's why we started Meet Me on the Radio. We thought, well, a radio is something, I mean, you can do it online, it is online, but also it's on an FM radio station on Resonance FM. So that was, you know, two older people, now the presenters, it's going really well every week and it's really fantastic. And it's kind of just learning new skills of producing radio shows rather than producing events, but it's really taken off and worked well. So. You know, as well as that, we've just done a choir through phone systems and uh, delivered hundreds of creative activity boxes. And it's, it's just, I think it's just a question of what can you do and, you know, how can you be helpful? How can you support people? And it's like, you know, if, if you think the arts are important, you have to find a way for it, you know, creativity to work and for that, for that, for that to kind of support people. I think it's, it's interesting during this time, I think people have discovered their local area and also discovered their own creativity to some extent. So it feels like, you know, coming out of it, somewhere like the Albany has, has, a, real, has a real role, I think, in actually bringing people back together um, and actually kind of supporting people through this recovery stage into the next stage. I mean, that yeah, sounds definitely. very optimistic. I know it's all like, I know the actual situation is so difficult for lots of people, but it, you know, ultimately it's like, what, what can you do to be useful, I think? And that has to be the kind of watchword for it. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think particularly with the Meet Me on the Radio, that that's that's really interesting, actually, and, and important that, yeah, you're right, absolutely. Not, not everybody has access to decent internet. That, that, is, that is a fact. So, and are you, so are the two presenters, are they going into a studio or how are they, um, how are they delivering the show? At the moment, we've all done it by, through phone systems. So it's remarkable, really. But they're, they're natural presenters and so like creating these relationships and doing interviews and the banter you know and it's yeah i mean it, it's seriously impressive and it's it started off as a show for older people but i think you know the listenership is is now much wider than that i think it's just it's a really nice mix of kind of really interesting stories interesting artists coming on uh, and some just real humor and kind of stories of life and kind of experiences through this so yeah, I think it's it's been a real success for us. Yeah, amazing. Well, okay, so I have a couple of questions in a bag here from a couple of girls that I know love their granny. They absolutely love her. So um, uh, Jazz and Holly, they are six and eight, and they like to ask grown-ups questions. So, um, oh, okay, their question is, what is your favourite instrument? When I was, I mean, when I was younger, I played the piano and I still, I miss, I, yeah, I think I love the piano actually. I must start playing it again. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah it would be great. I'm not sure in my little flat, like whether the neighbours would like it very much, but yeah. Piano. <laughs> you can just say you're finding your creativity again. It's like this time, I'm just finding. No, but of course the piano is amazing, isn't it? You can do so much with it and it's, yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. Oh, and so we asked you to bring a, along an object that symbolised lockdown for you. Do you have it with you? Well, 
I mean, first of all, I thought I'd bring this because <laughs> it's probably for everyone. But yeah, the sad truth is this has probably been my lockdown treat. I can't lie. But I thought, okay, I should come up with something a bit more wholesome. So I'm going to bring this, which is uh, a cookbook called The Green Roastington. Because actually early in lockdowns, like I never feel like I've got time to cook, but suddenly got a real interest in, you know, cooking from scratch. I mean, nothing, nothing complicated, but I just got really into it. I must admit it's gone off a bit now, but there was a few months when I got really into it. And we've got um, a community garden at um, the Albany. So obviously we kept that going, but there wasn't that many people there. And obviously we were giving away produce and stuff like that, but there was so many extra stuff. So there's like, you know, masses of uh, spare courgettes. And so I was, I was getting a few of those. So yeah. Yeah, nice. if you want some interesting ideas about what to do with a courgette, I'm, I'm now your man, definitely. <laughs> Good to know. And wine and cooking go very well together, don't they? Let's be honest. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us this evening, Gavin, and thanks for sharing all the exciting stuff that's going on um, at the Albany and everything that you've been doing. Um, got some people on the chat saying sounds fab Gavin so there you go um and um yeah thank you so much for joining us um it's lovely to chat to you and good luck with all good luck with opening the doors of the Albany and good luck with the autumn program thanks take very care much. now thank you bye oh great so thank you very much to Gavin and lovely to hear everything that's going on at the Albany um at the moment so Moving on to our third guest of the season finale. Our next guest is an award-winning performer with um, titles behind them, such as Ireland's 2017 LGBTQ Plus Performer of the Year. They fuse theatre and cabaret to produce future-facing, imaginative, explosive work for theatre, the club, and for the community. Over lockdown, they ran a series of online weekly Zoom workshops for queer school, for queer artists looking to develop their creative output, skills and intuition. They are currently working on an exciting new musical project that includes mentorship from iconic group Hot Brown Honey. Yes, it is the wonderful, the fantastic and sometimes sparkly Exanthony! Oh, there! I was like, "Who wrote that?" Oh, I did. Yeah, I wrote that. <laughs> yeah, some oh, of that straight off your website. Oh God, it's such—it's so good the branding, and it's so interesting because I haven't felt like that kind of um, pizzazzy in about six months. But it feels great when you hear it back, you know. Yeah, yeah. When you're like, "Oh, yeah, that, those are all the things that I do." That's actually me. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, quite often people are like, wow, what an intro. And I'm like, that is actually just the things that you do. <laughs> yeah. But hearing them out loud, like, oh, okay. Um, thank you for joining us tonight. Oh, I'm so thrilled. Sitting here in my sitting room in my parents' house in Ireland. Can you just please note the beige uh, curtains, the beige carpet, the beige <laughs> chairs, the beige walls. So I'm in the beige lovely things that match are very important to some parents this is the thing absolutely absolutely <laughs> um okay so let's start with hot brown honey mentorship how excited how excited are you to be receiving mentorship from hot brown honey like on a scale from one to ten how excited oh uh, like 
kind of insane. It's insane. Um, yeah, so like, it's it's out of this world in many ways because when I was a little baby gay, only a few weeks ago, a few years ago, I was watching um, Hot Brown Honey uh, in Dublin in, in a Spiegel tent and I was like, oh my God, I'll never be as good as these queens. But then suddenly through st strange series of events, um, we got working together. So I got this residency in Ireland. You go to this massive house in Ireland for two weeks in rural like Ireland beside the lake and Hot Brown Honey and Ron Athey, this uh, live artist from the, from the US were mentoring. And I was matched with uh, Hot Brown Honey. And I was like, this is insane. I can't believe this. And they are so sound like insanely sound, insanely generous. They don't have any um, ego. They're really just like lovely, lovely people. And the reason I was there was because at the time I was working on a project about British colonialism of Ireland, big um, subject matter. And um, it was called at the time, I Are Gay, which was like a fun title, but actually, um, in in reconsideration, uh, like my boyfriend is from Belfast, he was like, you can't call it that. It's not really your story. So as stories have gone on, it's developed, but we worked there together and it was just really, really amazing. So they, they've agreed to be a, a part of this project that we're working on. And um, yeah, it's amazing. It's yeah, amazing. yeah. Um, and so oh, it's always nice when you hear that they're lovely people as well. You're like, oh, yeah, that's what I want to hear. Yeah, really sound. I had to like asked them to do something for me last week for an application for funding and they did it in like 20 minutes and the deadline was in an hour and they were like there you go no problem we understand it's like they're wow. really nice people yeah they're experienced as well clearly because funding yeah. is is not a fun thing to apply for is it <laughs> sometimes you need things to happen quickly yeah the, the fun the word fun and funding is a is a misleading statement yeah, it's a, that. it's a lie. It's a lie. So there. So this is your next project that they are um, working with you on, and it's a new musical about Oliver Cromwell. Um, mm -hmm. So do you know as of yet um, what character is going to be telling this story, or whose lens we're going to be looking through? Anything like that? Yeah. So the whole idea for the show came from. Um, Brexit came from like this sort of being an Irish person in the UK, always having to sort of face minor um, kind of like side swipes about Irish history and culture and also no, the lack of history education um, about Ireland and of course colonialism capital C is insane. And it's been in the works for like, I've been thinking and working on it since like, I was in, oh, that's what it was. I was in Edinburgh last year with a show about rural Ireland, like about a pop concert on my dad's farm. And the, the Brits didn't really get it. And I was like, oh shit, they don't get my story. I hate the Brits. Oh, that's a really funny thought, line of thought. Let's investigate that. And then um, ended up working on Hopper and Honey. And as I developed, it became much more focused about Oliver Cromwell because Oliver Cromwell um, actually kind of, he's seen as a tolerant person like tony blair would have had a picture of him in his office but in ireland he's seen as a genocidal maniac uh, he kills like <laughs> sure. thousands of catholics in a couple of towns and villages created uh, a kind of a two-state catholic versus protestant kind of scenario in ireland that affects ireland up until this day um so there's a kind of a education sort of idea here where we're trying to kind of bring education in but also what if we bring education in but like we tell loads of lies as well so like oh. it's kind of a bit like half truths and like foaming at the mouth nationalism and like 
is Oliver telling the truth? Is he apologizing for what he did? So it's kind of exciting. So it's called Oliver Cromwell is really very sorry. So it kind of, in a nutshell, it explores a cancel culture, colonialism, and sort of like British history in Ireland. And it's set on a cruise ship and it's got a disco soundtrack. It's like heightened, like disco. Think about, think about like American Psycho meets like Saturday Night Fever, but about Cromwell. <laughs> Amazing, because I was going to ask you, how can you, because that could be a potentially very like gruesome story to be telling and a, like, a, you know, quite a brutal, traumatic one. And I was wondering how you were going to flip that into being something um, more kind of fabulous <laughs> and it's because it's quite a, yeah and apparently you have managed to do that already in your description we've made some we've been working up so we've so lucky i got the funding miraculously i don't know how the british arts council decided to fund this a week before lockdown and so for a year for nearly it feels like a year but it's been seven months we've been like pausing it but I'm, we're going back to work soon and i've been working on my own slowly and kind of very slowly really and it for me it always had to be disco i don't know why and i couldn't justify it but there was something about the idea of like heightened entertainment that went so in the face of the the traumatic content and that's kind of disgusting and also it, it says a lot about oliver as a character that he would be able to be suave be really like charismatic like chesney what's his name chesney hawks is that his name yeah like, yeah yeah he's like debut like with the little mole on his forehead on his on his lips you know very misleadingly charming um but with music pop songs about killing babies you know like really intense but stuff that people can actually laugh at in a weird way and kind of like get the awkwardness out and yeah. for, for British and Irish people like for an Irish person they will want to see Oliver apologize or get retribution but a British person will be like, I don't even know what the hell he did. So could you explain? Um, and the, the show itself like leads up to this sort of graphic ending. That's like quite a violent ending, but it's all kind of set within this like disco realm. I'm re I'm, I'm feeling excited as you can tell, because I'm going into R&D in like three weeks. So I'm like, finally. So, yeah. yeah, it sounds amazing, to be fair. And and I have to shamefully admit, I did have to really Google what I was like, okay, Oliver Cromwell, what happened there? Which is just, just totally highlights that point, doesn't it, really? Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, it's kind of worth noting as well, like it's not, it's weird how um, the movement, Black Lives Matter and all that kind of stuff was pushing, pushing, pushing. And the show was like, you know, you, you sometimes get a sense of like what's moving in society and for me it was very much about an Irish question about bringing in the UK but now it has become a bigger question about colonialism and that's why Hot Brown Honey their involvement is really key because it wouldn't be much use if it was really just about the white story you know it, it's it's much more complex and larger than that so we're, we're definitely hitting on one part of history but it should reflect on a bigger question you know. Uh, yeah yeah and because they Hot Brown Honey say in their um, that they they want their audience to come away with um, having a conversation like that's the like they put on this amazing show and then one of the key things to is to come away with the audience like talking about the the things that just happened or the issues that were raised is that very important for you in your work as well yeah in this project yeah um 
it depends on which show. I think what's happening for me is I'm becoming I'm a little bit older now. Uh, you know, I'm like thinking a bit more carefully <laughs> about the project I'm making and I'm slowing down loads, lockdown or not. Like I'm trying to make one thing at a time. And with this project, there was always a discussion like, do you want to do in a Spiegel tent in Edinburgh where there's like loads of drunk people drinking champagne, watching you explain like how someone killed thousands of people? Or do you want to do it in like Soho where it's like, kind of in the middle or do you want to do it in like somewhere even more serious like the Barbican or whatever blah 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 but for me it it can be all those things but it does need to sort of like hit people on the head from both spectrums you know like from everyone and and I think the idea that the people involved in the show will have to be very cared for because it will I expect to get death threats I also um from both both sides of the equation and I also notice whenever I post things about Oliver Cromwell online like bits of history people unfollow like really quick it's like this sort of like it's really unsexy for some reason but I don't mind yeah yeah it's don't they say like if you're offending both ends like the far left and the far right you're probably doing something right that's Definitely. apparently I've heard yeah. that. <laughs> that's kind of been like a, a thing of my work. I mean, I've actually worked with uh, the, the Albany as well. So it was amazing to hear Gavin speak. And I love that place. It's amazing. But um, in the past, you know, I've done shows about like a gay man pretending to be straight to improve his commerciality. And that really annoyed a lot of queer people because they were like, why would you do this? We've just got gay marriage in Ireland. Like, why would you do this? And I'm like, well, there are other extremes, you know, like equal marriage isn't like the be all and end all. Heteronormativity is really a toxic thing that we're buying into as a queer community, blah, blah, blah. So I, I, I like to say that I do kind of want to annoy both spectrums. <laughs> you want to and you shall. You shall. Mm-hmm. You know that, <laughs> I haven't, um, that I haven't spoken to anyone in a while. <laughs> Oh no. <laughs> no, you're doing well. When I first was coming out of lockdown, I sort of was feeling, I just like, when I wasn't talking to people over Zoom, that was the first challenge. I was like, oh, in person, no, I don't need to pause as much. Da, 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 da. No, you're all good. You're all good. But I did want to ask you over lockdown, um, you ran Queer School. Can you tell us a bit more about what motivated you to um, run that project? Yeah, so um, Queer School was set up with Dublin Fringe in Dublin about a year ago. And it was like, I just felt that a lot of younger queer performers didn't have, weren't being offered a lot of the resources that they needed to develop really um, mundane, but really necessary things like how to write a budget, how to apply for funding, how to set your website up so it's it's usable, blah, 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 blah. Um, And that's because queer people obviously come from a lot of disadvantaged backgrounds. So I was like, look, I'm not like, I ain't like a massive superstar in any sense but I can still help these people in some way with what I have and so we just I opened up the resources that I'd gotten I just shared all my my funding applications that I've got money I just opened up the doors and made it like accessible to anyone that asked and um, then I was planning on doing it for um, before lockdown and actually one of the people who attended I cancelled it one of the people who attend who was going to attend was like would you not do it online and I just thought like you know, the first few weeks of lockdown was traumatic. Like I was just like, I could barely function. And I, I just I said, right, okay, I will, I will. And actually it became like this therapeutic thing for me and the group, like we just met up every Monday and we would we'd have a topic and I would lead on it. And then I would find people who might have more experience in departments like songwriting and they'd come into the Zoom with us. And it became this like group and it was, yeah, it was really, um, it was lovely. 
but it's now over for the moment because after all that work, it's like, you know, I'm all about like watching yourself as an artist and not getting burnt out and saying no. So I kind of, some people think that artists are kind of like there to sort of be at the forefront all the time firefighting. And I, I actually think that we're allowed to have the privilege to just say, no, actually we're going to leave it to the, to the Karens. And I'm actually going to go over here and just, um, I'm going to like play my PlayStation for six months. <laughs> and that's okay. That might have, there might be privilege in that, but I think, um, I think that we artists don't need to be proving a point right now. You know, we can just survive. That's my point. But yeah, Chris yeah, will sure. be back and I will be opening it up again and it will be free and it'll be for anyone who wants it. Do you feel like you've had, a, 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 do, have you had some quality PlayStation time then? Ha, has that happened? Actually, the whole question about the object, I know I gave you a, a crappy answer yesterday about the watch, but actually it's my PlayStation. I bought oh, a PlayStation. Okay. Yeah, like, of lockdown, I was like, I'm buying a PlayStation because I was watching like people playing playing the PlayStation as like an ASMR like like therapy thing, and then I was like, why am I? I just gonna buy one, and I did, and like honestly, it, I I said to my flatmate, I was like, I don't know why I didn't do this sooner. I have never been happier. <laughs> you know? Do you know what though? I bet there's a lot of people that can relate to that. Actually, they're like, wow. This is game consoles. There is a reason that people play these. Yeah, it's good, yeah. like escapism. Yeah, and there's some amazing art. I would love to make a PlayStation amazing. game. That's a show. That's in my head, but I need to. I don't know what that would be. Do you? Many things. Yeah, no. But I'm sure. Could it involve zebras? Maybe. It could. It could involve like. I think a really good idea would be like. Um, you know, non-playable characters, the ones that only speak like, "Hello, you must go over here." Like a show that's about. A non-playable character that's waiting for the main character to come but the main character gets killed and the non-playable character is like oh i have to take over now yeah that's yeah my, anyway. <laughs> mike's nodding like yes yes he wants to play that game okay so we have um our final question of this season from our lovely jazz and holly jazz and holly thank you so much for sending these all in um uh, and I, I didn't plan for this to be the last question, but I'm really glad it is. If you could have a superpower, what would it be? Oh. Oh God, that's so complex because like, <laughs> is it like the superpower? Oh, I just want to cure AIDS. <laughs> that's, that's, I think I, that's, that's a good superpower. So intense and like very like, um, first, uh, what's the word? Like, uh, Miss Universe, but like that's all I would like to. That's the one thing. Yeah, that's always what I wish for when I do like wishes on on candles. I'm like, I would like a cure for that. That would just solve a lot of problems for people. Isn't that strange? I don't think that's strange. I think that's a that's a very good superpower. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fingers and sorry. World peace. And world peace, of course. And world peace. Um. You are getting a lot of love over the chat, just so that you know, um, Exanthony saying we need more artists like you. So there you go. Um, so thank you so much for joining us this evening. It's been lovely chatting to you. Good good luck with um, your next show. I can't wait to sort of see how it develops. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll let you know. You'll be getting spammed pretty soon. Can't wait. Brilliant. It's gonna be great. Thanks for having me. And <laughs> the guests were amazing. And thank you to the world.
Yes, thank you to the world. <laughs> um, have a lovely time in that beige room. I will, it's my prison. <laughs> bye, honey. See ya, bye. Fantastic. Um, lovely. And if you want to keep up to date with anything that Exanthony is doing, you can go on to their website. Um, it's very fun. So um, it's time for the final feature of the show. It's the the Living Legend season finale. Yeah, every week we have been saying thank you to somebody in the local community that has gone above and beyond over this period of time. And they've been nominated by you each week. And so we've had a range of people and organizations that have been nominated so far. And we just asked for, you could have done anything, you know, given someone a chocolate bar or been out there delivering fresh fruit and veg. Um, so it's time to see who is this week's ultimate living legend. legend. What a legend. Aw, thanks. So this week's living legend actually came to us via Twitter. Um, and they this is from Sydney Mural. Um, they got in touch to nominate Kirkdale Bookshop for being one of the linchpins of the community and specifically Roland from Kirkdale for his personality. I mean, that's a nice thing to get nominated for, isn't it? And his online efforts to spark joy over lockdown. So Kirkdale are running a story time session every Saturday morning for kids aged three plus. Um, and online, Roland has posted that on Tuesday, it is his 52nd birthday. And if you come into Kirkdale Bookshop on Tuesday, he will make you a cup of tea. That's right. Now that sounds like a legend to me. So thank you, Roland. And thank you all of the staff at Kirkdale Bookshop. Um, they've People have seen you blowing horns outside and spreading joy. Um, we appreciate that. You are clearly a bunch of local living legends. Thank you. Um, okay, well, thank you everybody for joining us. Thank you for being here for episode four, season finale of the Sydenham Arts podcast um we hope to be back with you soon we'll obviously let you know um if or when that happens but in the meantime if you haven't already please do subscribe to the sydney arts youtube channel um if you go to sydney arts website sydneymarts.co.uk they've got a what's on page and they've got loads of stuff going on at the moment um out in the community which is fantastic um you can follow us on twitter Facebook, Instagram, we're on all of those, which I should also say a big thank you to Laura who does the socials for Sydney because she has been awesome um, posting about this. So thank you, Laura. I should say a big thank you to Mike who's here on tech. He's been um, most excellent <laughs> over this time. And um, thank you so much to um, James at Sydney Arts and um, the board for the opportunity to have created this show. It's been amazing to meet such brilliant artists and pillars of the community for that have been doing amazing stuff over this time so thank you very much um thank you once again it's been an absolute pleasure stay stripy at first i was afraid 
I was petrified. Kept thinking I could never live without you by my side. I spent so many nights thinking how you did me wrong. And I grew strong. And I learned how to get along. And so you're back from outer space.